For fear of the huntress, the city closed like an eye. Only my window stayed open, because as a foreigner, I didn't know better. In the morning, poor children would scrub the stains from the roofs. Now the rain-dark head came down and rested on the dome of the embassy. Lightning Recap in The Huntress by Sophia Samatar. A huntress finds its prey. You've got a little time. Dun, dun, dun. We've got a little podcast. Dun. (laughs) This should be short story, short podcast. I am here today with Christy Baxter. And yes, indeed, sucka MCs, they call me sire. Um, I am super, super psyched as today is the first day of second summer that we have here in California during what should be the fall. And it's warm, it's cuddly, it's like a blanket cuddling you with the intention of smothering you. What should the story we read while being smothered be? I think the story reading while being smothering should be The Huntress by Sophia Samatar. Now, I love Sophia Samatar, and this is on Tin House, part of their Flash Fiction Fridays that they used to do. And it's interesting that this is a story that there's... A fair bit of story there, but maybe not as much as you would expect. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's there's definitely something happens, which is, is essential for story. A uh, story where nothing happens. Well, that's Seinfeld. Um, but so it, it's kind of, it's one of those stories where a lot, a lot depends on the reader and what they want to make of the story, I think. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And this is one of the things I think, as we're going to be doing a lot more flash fiction, because our attention spans are. Yeah, we, uh, we definitely see that there are sort of two modes. You can either hint at a whole bunch of stuff. Or you can just cut everything down to the absolute quick. And this one kind of does neither. of It takes a middle path which is fascinating because the language here is so evocative and it plays into the huntress idea in general, of course, but it has this sort of viscerality to it. It's been so long since I've said that. (laughs) (laughs) Visceral. (laughs) Banal. We're bringing them back. We're bringing Banal back. Yeah, totally. (laughs) But we're given a character. And along the way, what's interesting is our view of who, when, and where the character exists changes with even just tiny, tiny mentions. 
Well, the story, it, it almost reads like a mystery that the reader has to figure out all while just kind of languishing wondrous, wondrously in the language. That was a hard word, hard sentence to say. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, <laughs> the the line, like I had a vision in my head and then the line, I'm an American hit. And I'm like, what, what, what? Yeah, I know that that definitely. And it's not even a throwaway. It's not, you know, just for for funny. It's, you know, are monks happy? No, they are not interested in that category of feeling. But I'm supposed to be. I'm an American. And yeah, it's definitely amusing and uh, kind of clever and a little biting. Um, but it's also really telling about the our protagonist here and what they feel about their obligations, what they're supposed to feel. Mm -hmm. And when it opens with, because as a foreigner, I didn't know better, this idea that, oh, well, they're a foreigner here, but it's the other way around. And I found that to be a wonderful, like, once I put that all together, that one line made me completely reevaluate the entireness, the, everything I had read beforehand. Yeah, and it also kind of because I had the exact same experience with with that that moment. It also kind of opens your eye a little bit to maybe a little bit of I don't know ethnocentrism or something <laughs> like just this idea that America is the center of the world and everything's about us. No, it's not. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I'm going to blame that on the attention span. <laughs> very, very good idea. Um, I think here though what we see is writing that is super evocative, particularly in its sentence brevity. There are very few secondary clauses in this thing. Um, but when there are, they actually matter. Uh, the moon shed feathers of light as if molting. Oh, head plody. That's just, ah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, there's that sort of, um, it's a, I've seen it everywhere. I've used it in classes. Um, it, it's a little kind of like why being concise is important and how you can accomplish it with, with sentence lengths and then slowly extend those sentence lengths until they have, you know, uh, like you can really pound an important sentence home by sort of building up to it. And this does that a lot. I cannot find the exact quote, but anybody who has ever taught creative writing knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think uh, it's really that third to last paragraph where, you know, the huntress left dark patches wherever she passed. She left a streak. Uh, in the morning, the hotel staff would find me unconscious, gummed to the floor, the proprietor weeping for nothing like this had ever happened in this establishment. Nothing. Uh, had I read the instructions on the desk? Um, just, you know, that paragraph compared to the other ones, you get two sentences that are actually have secondary and one ter tertiary clause, which makes me happy. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it's really so much different from the rest of it. And I really like that a lot. There's also a lot of references to monks, which I don't understand, <laughs> at least two, which is more than any other thing we've read since 
I don't know if we've read anything with a monk in it. <laughs> Think of anything uh, that we have. Yeah, monks. We uh, were really big on monks in our material, apparently. We didn't know. We didn't know. How could we have known? <laughs> um, <laughs> and monks are going to make a big comeback. I, I swear. It's going to be, they're going to be huge. Uh, like monkeys. Um, there was something I was going to say about. Um, oh, here. Interestingly, I did a rough estimate and I went looking for three word sentences, which to me are the bare minimum number of words you have for a sentence that isn't just an interjection. And there are 12 in this entire piece, which only has nine paragraphs. Uh, wow. Which is, to me, impressive. Uh, I think... When you are working at this length, not only do word choice matter as much, but also how you break them up. If you put a whole bunch of short stuff together in one paragraph, you're getting a staccato rhythm to everything. And that was actually one thing that William Soroyan, of course, uh, as I always have to mention, <laughs> um, was really, really good about was getting that, making sure there was a rhythm to the reading. And here, it's all over the place. Uh, and I think that when that rhythm gets broken away, it's like it's like a solo in a song. It, you realize, oh, now they're sort of making us draw into this moment for the, not only for the the meaning of it to the whole piece, but for that rhythm to have a break so that something next can happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's sort of like you use the rhythm to it can be a tool, just like any other writing tool that you use to sort of influence the reader into a certain certain state. So like you said, that staccato rhythm that can be very like lulling. And then when you break that up, it draws attention, you know, almost like somebody banging a, a tin pot in the middle of a lullaby. That's a uh, that's an, a simile that I. I appreciate greatly and have oddly experienced with my own children. Um, I was going to say, I bet you've lived it. <laughs> I literally have. I cannot lie. <laughs> um, although our, uh, our lullabies are a little different. Uh, they like Rasputin by Boney M as their sleep music. Um, I have weird kids. Um, I love. That's I shocking. Love that yeah. I love not only the compactness of this story, but how it feels as if there is more in the beyond that I really, really want. Uh, someone really needs to do a uh, elongated series that are nothing but flash fiction pieces. Oh yeah, absolutely. That would be, uh, gosh, that would be a really fun project. Uh, you're getting my creative muscles itchy. You can do it. I believe in you. <laughs> uh, I think that how how we view her is how we not only view the story, but the setting. What do we think the setting is here, really? And how does that how is that reflected through our main character 
we do have an illustration, um, which it's uh, by Adele Samatar. So I'm thinking there's maybe a relation there. Uh, if not, that's quite the coincidence. Uh, but uh, between the, the illustrator and uh, uh, Sophia Samatar, the, the writer, and it gives us like sort of a, a vision of um, a, a lion faced kind of griffin like creature with a moon in the backdrop. And um, it's kind of over a village that has very European flavors to my eye. Um, the, the cobblestones, the, the, the roofs and, and old, old European. Like my my brain is going to Germany in like the I don't know I know I I'm not going to give it a time I don't think this I think this piece is more timeless I'm just going to say sometime in old Germany. Interesting. See, and I am automatically drawn to when I look at it the crescent moon on top of the domed building, which makes me think that it's uh, some form of Islamic architecture. But at the same time, there's just straight up old timey uh winding stairs around a uh tower thing there so it, it does have that sort of timeless feel like there's a cathedral uh mosque and a uh, synagogue all sitting right next to each other um which and that little liony bird type thing uh really brings me interesting interesting note though uh del samatar is pursuing a career as a tattoo artist uh Oh well, I can, I, yeah, I can see the potential there for that. This is this is great artwork. I mean, I'm not a an art critic by any means, but this it's very very evocative, just like the the writing. I mean, they go perfectly together, truly. They really do, and I think it's the, I think if you tried to put a color image with this, honestly, as a guy who is actually an art critic, <laughs> um, that you would take away the sense of what are you really seeing and sensing versus what is the fantastical here? And I think both the image and the story play with it. And I love when we have images and stories next to each other, when the presentation actually matters to the piece. And this one feels like it does. It absolutely does. It feels like these are a matched set. They belong together. Um, and yet each can stand alone, which I, re I really, really appreciate. Like I would, I would, Put a print of this on my wall. Mm. Would I do that? Probably. I'd have to find a space, though. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but no, I really enjoy this story. I think that Sophia Samatar's uh, prose in general is just some of the most remarkable prose we've seen over the last 10 years. And I can't remember when I first became aware of Sophia Samatar's stuff. It would have been a long while ago, but she's been on those classic lists that I always look at because I'm a big list guy. Uh, and you can see if you look at, because uh, I think, I can't remember when I met her. It might have been at Worldcon. It was definitely at a Worldcon because I go to Worldcons. But uh, the piece that I'm completely thinking of that is now completely lost in my mind until I go and look and then say, oh, yeah. Um, almost shares my birthday also. Uh, hmm. Yes. Uh, oh, interesting. An interesting What's that? Um, uh, although her father was a Muslim, she is a Mennonite. 
Interesting. Hmm. The, the Mennonites are a very interesting uh, group that my grandmother belonged to. Oh, interesting. I've been to a uh, Mennonite wedding. Oh, that sounds like fun. For values oh, of fun. For values of fun. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um. Oh, Honey Bear. Uh, another wonderful story that was in Clark's World in 2012. Uh, one of their very earliest ones, I think. That was just fantastic. That might have even been the, in the issue that I appeared first time in uh, Clark's World. Um, oh, cool. But she also became very well known for Silky Sto Selkie Stories Are for Losers, uh, which is another great one. <laughs> uh, got anything else on this one there, Christy? I just wanted to say that I think this is one of the best first lines we've had in our stories. For fear of the huntress, the city closed like an eye. It's got everything. It's got everything. It's it it's got the, the the draw of mystery. It's it's got an amazing rhythm to it. Um, it's got tension. It yeah, it's perfect. I can't imagine any other sentence opening this story. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It very much does have that sort of uh Harlan Ellison-esque uh hit them hard and make sure they stay with stay with you thing, except for she's better at making you stay with it than Harlan ever was. Uh mm -hmm. yeah, you heard me ghost of Harlan Ellison. I'm at you. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna get haunted. Being haunted by Harlan Ellison would be like being haunted by the scariest five-year-old you ever met. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've uh, never never met the dude from, but from what I heard, yes. He called me the devil once. Uh, I kind of wear that as a badge of pride. <laughs> he called you what now? The devil. Oh yes, I yeah yeah. Uh, yeah. that's amazing that's absolutely yeah. amazing yeah you should wear that as a badge of pride you should have a t-shirt that said harlan and ellison called me the devil once oh i should or you should have a t-shirt that says joyce carol Oates said i was very beautifully dressed oh that's a two-sided piece of merch we could have right there <laughs> <laughs> we need to write down these merch ideas <laughs> Hey, Christy. I'm in trouble hearing you. Oh, hey, Christy. Oh, okay. Hey, hey. <laughs> Sorry. Hello. Hello. Hey, what, 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 what should we read for next time? This time, I think we should read another story from Tin House and their Flash Collection, Sick Monkey by Alyssa Prujanski. Yay, monkeys! <laughs> well, yes, excellent, because until then, we have been short story. Short podcast. <laughs>